It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And we welcome you into the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, December 1st, 2011. Thank you for being a part of the program tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn, my father Greg Gwynn. That's a lot across the table from me. Hello, Dad. Jacob, great to be with you tonight. Look forward to our study on the Virtual Bible Looking study. forward to our study tonight, and we're looking forward to your comments at 877-381-4567. Email questions at collegeview.com. The chat room is open if you're listening to us live tonight to the right of your viewing window with easy-to-follow instructions on how to log in there. No personal information is required. You can sign in and chat with other listeners on the program tonight. We have an interesting program planned. Uh, there's some, been some stir that you informed me about today. Yeah, it's, it's not a new topic. It's a topic we've mentioned before, studied even rather extensively in the past on the virtual Bible study. It has to do with the doctrine most commonly known, Jacob, as once saved, always saved. Uh, right. there, there are many religious groups who hold to that view. It is actually one of the tenets of Calvinism. Yes. Uh, Calvin taught that there's such a thing as the perseverance of the saints. That is that once you're saved, you will persevere to the end. You can't once you're saved, you can't sin and be lost. Uh, better known, commonly known as once saved, always saved. It's also sometimes referred to as eternal security. Perseverance of the saints. Perseverance of the saints. Impossibility of apostasy. Impossibility of apostasy. That's another one. So there's several descriptives that uh, tell about this. The reason why we thought we'd visit the subject again tonight is because a well-known denominational preacher who's on the television a lot by the name of John Hagee has made some comments recently that have uh, let it be known that he doesn't believe that doctrine, mm-hmm. that, that, he has, that he has come to the conclusion that it is not a true doctrine, that you can sin and be lost even after first having been saved. Now, apparently some people have just become aware that Hagee is teaching this, but I think it's actually not a new thing with him because um, I found a, a blog that quoted him from March 15, 2007. And on this blog by Scott McMahon, uh, he gives a bit of a transcript of a program that Hagee put out there, what, four, over four years ago? Yes. And I, I, want to, I want to read you just a, a clip from that. This is John Hagee. He says, I do believe that if you turn your back on God for an extended period of time, the book of Revelation says your name will be smitten from the book of life. Now, if your name is stricken from the book of life, that means you're not going to be in heaven. Your name wouldn't be in the book of life if you were not at one time saved. So there's a very clear scriptural Bible reason that says that if you at one time were saved, according to the book of Revelation, with continued wicked living, you can lose that salvation. That's a good argument. I, I, I had never even thought of the argument yeah, before. Yeah, I either. But I, I'd have to agree. I think I would probably disagree with John Hagee on most almost everything. everything, but I have to agree with his statement. By the way, and I, I found a picture of him, Dan. Dan's running our controls tonight. found a picture. If you don't remember who John Hagee is, I imagine you've seen his face on TV before. Mm-hmm. He's the pastor of a mega church in San Antonio, I think, Texas. I, heard, called I the saw number nineteen thousand yeah. members. Yeah, it's a huge church in San Antonio. Uh, but he's probably seen more often or better known because of uh, the Trinity Broadcast Network. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are familiar with that. That's on televisions everywhere. Uh, you may have seen him there. He's also been really politically active. He he's. Uh, has founded an organization. I had this written down someplace, and I think I've lost it. But he's founded an organization that encourages our government to support Israel. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's very politically active. He he has been uh, on various committees that have been appointed by presidents and so forth. So he's, he's a well-known guy. Uh, again, I think probably I would disagree with him on a whole host of subjects, but it seems to me like he's he's come to a correct conclusion 
on the matter of once saved, always saved. Well, we want to talk about that as uh, we talk on our program tonight and get uh, what the Bible teaches us about this doctrine. Is it possible for Christians to lose their salvation once they have been in a right relationship with God? As uh, John Hagee suggested, if your name is in the book of life, can it be stricken from the book of life? Can you lose your salvation? Earlier today, you sent out some questions along those lines. I did, and I'm trying to find a copy of the questions. Yeah, I don't know if I've got them. I think you've got the questions. I'm going to have to come I've got out. them for you here. Have you got them? No, you don't yeah, have do. them either, I don't think. I do have them here. It's from... Uh, Number uh, no, you no, don't have we don't have the actual question, hang on, do we? Hang, oh, okay. hang on a minute. I'm we'll going to get, get these up so we yeah. can tell our listeners what questions we sent Tell us out how we get on the update list if we're not on the update list already. If you're not on the update list, you can be on it by sending us simply an email, questions at collegeview.com, and put in the subject line, add me to your list. We'll do that. And then on Thursdays, sometime in the in noon to afternoon period, We'll send you out an email each week telling you what our topic is going to be, asking you some questions to begin your considerations for our discussion that night. You also get a bonus email. Uh, on Tuesday each week, we usually send out our church bulletin, which has articles in it that are hopefully of some interest. So you're going to get two emails a week from us if you want to be on our mailing two list. Two emails and no more. And we won't bother you, and we don't sell your information. I guess that's a big deal. You're supposed to tell people we don't sell your information. We value your privacy. Yeah, we value your privacy. We, we probably have to need to publish a privacy statement. Yeah. Everybody does these days, you know, and we haven't done that. Our yet. statement is we're not going to give it to anybody. <laughs> that's right. All right. All right, here's the questions we sent out earlier today to our update list. Number one, explain the doctrine of eternal security as you understand it. Now, again, even if you don't believe it, what do you understand that they are teaching when they say that's once good because saved, always saved? There could be some misunderstandings. Yeah. Number two, if you believe in eternal security... Please provide your arguments in support of your position, or, and my guess is we probably won't have any people listening tonight that wanted to, to, to defend that view. Likely, they, we won't get any participants. So even if you don't believe in eternal security, what are some proof texts that are often used to support that doctrine? You they may have know, some texts. They have you, some texts. You, you may know of some texts that are sometimes used or try to use yeah. to support eternal security. And then number three, if you do not believe in eternal security, please provide your arguments in support, in support of your position. So what, what arguments would you make to oppose the doctrine of eternal security? Those are our questions for consideration tonight. Again, the number to call, 877-381-4567. The line is open and it's toll-free. Pick up the phone and give us a call tonight. Send your emails to questions at collegeview.com. And uh, the chat room is, uh, well, we've got some lurkers in the chat room tonight. Not too many people signed in. If you'd like to comment, sign in. The chat room there on the subject of eternal security. Well, what do you? How do we understand? How do you uh, define the, it? Yeah. Well, um, Chris in Georgia says he's got some experience with the doctrine as he uh, had some spent some time in the Baptist church. He says, "For my Baptist days, it was the belief that once you had been saved from your sins, it was impossible to lose that salvation and be eternally lost." All right. So I think that summarizes. That, that's, that's it very well. Patrick in Alabama says this. Uh, I think Patrick in Birmingham, Alabama says. The doctrine of eternal security has different forms, but it finds its basis in the doctrine of salvation by faith alone. Faith alone is essentially the doctrine that salvation is gained by believing that Jesus Christ paid the penalty of death for sin on one's behalf, and works have no part in gaining salvation. Therefore, as a consequence, works have no part in causing one to lose one's salvation. Hence, the doctrine of eternal security. Also related is the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. This teaching generally means that as a result of being saved through faith alone, one is assured of persevering in good works until the end and thus gaining salvation. There are two camps. One says that no sin, no matter how grievous or how many times it is committed, will cause one to lose its salvation. The other essentially says that if one commits serious sin, he was never really saved to begin with. Yeah, I think those, I think uh, uh, in agreement with Patrick, I've heard people argue both ways. Uh, you know, uh, if you, there are some people who believe once saved, always saved. But if you find a person who's just gone absolutely overboard into sin, they'll say that person never was saved in the first right. place, uh, which is, I think, kind of a cop-out. They're either saved or they're not. But this doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, once saved, always saved, eternal security, impossibility, apostasy, that's one of the things that John Calvin began to teach in his system of theology, Jacob. Yeah, and I found a, a website here that uh, gives us a little bit of uh, how people feel uh, who believe this. This is from the Genevan Institute for Reformed Studies, and that's uh, Reformed is synonymous with Calvin uh, and his his doctrines, as I understand it. Uh, 
they say one of the most comforting and humbling teachings of Scripture is the doctrine of perseverance of the saints. The Bible clearly teaches that salvation is an imperishable and inalienable gift of God. What Jesus purchased for his people by his life and death cannot be taken from them. It will not deteriorate, and it cannot fail. No fault in the creature or power in all of creation can sever the covenant, the bond that God establishes by his grace with his children. That's pretty plain. I've got some quotes, too, that I put on the slides, Jacob. And, Dan, i got these, these next slides coming up. i got four quotes that I think do a really good job. In other words, what we're trying to do here is let them put it in their own words. Let, let those who believe it tell us what they think it means, this mm-hmm. eternal security or once saved, always saved. Here's a quote from the Westminster Confession. They whom God hath accepted in his beloved, effectually called and sanctified by his spirit, can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace, but shall certainly persevere therein to the end and be eternally saved. Again, that's the Westminster Confession of Faith. It's, it's not possible. You cannot totally or finally fall away from the state of grace. The next one is classic. Uh, and we've used this quote before, Jacob, on the virtual Bible study from Sam Morris, pastor of the First yeah. Baptist Church of Stamford, Texas. Everybody needs to have a copy of this. This is just classic. And notice what he said. He's being completely honest. He's willing to accept the full consequence of his, of his doctrine. Notice what he says. We take the position that a Christian's sins do not damn his soul. The way a Christian lives, what he says, his character, his conduct, or his attitude toward other people have nothing whatever to do with the salvation of his soul. All the prayers a man may pray, all the Bibles he may read, all the churches he may belong to, all the services he may attend, all the sermons he may practice, all the debt he may pay, all the ordinances he may observe, all the laws he may keep, all the benevolent acts he may perform will not make his soul one whit safer, and all the sins he may commit from idolatry to murder will not make his soul in any more danger. The way a man lives has nothing whatever to do with the salvation of his soul. Mm-hmm. That's quoted by C.R. Nickel in the book, The Impossibility, or, or excuse me, The, the Possibility of Apostasy. Uh, Nickel was teaching that you can fall away, but he was quoting Sam Morris as saying, you can't. Yeah. And then here's a quote from Hickscock's Standard Manual for Baptist Churches. Uh, we believe the scriptures teach that such as are truly regenerate, being born of the Spirit, will not utterly fall away and perish, but will endure to the end. And then one more. This was in a debate by a man named Nunnery who debated Guy and Woods back in 1946. And this was the proposition of the, de- of the debate. Woods would have been denying this proposition. The other man would have been affirming the view. The Bible teaches that a child of God cannot so act as to be finally lost in hell. Mm. So all really plain quotes there, I think, uh, very plain to what they mean when they talk about eternal security or the impossibility possibly once saved, always saved. Well, we want to hear your thoughts on that at 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. Here's another, a little bit more uh, from that quote that you mentioned of the Westminster Confession of Faith. Uh, it goes on and talks about this perseverance of the saints. It says, this perseverance of the saints depends not upon their own free will, but upon the immutability of the decree of election flowing from the free and unchangeable love of God the Father upon the efficacy of the merit and intercession of Jesus Christ, the abiding of the Spirit and the seed of God within them, and the nature of the covenant of grace, from all which arises unto the certainty and infallibility thereof. Notice this, so he said, they say, nevertheless, they may, through the temptations of Satan and of the world, the prevalency of corruption remaining in them, and the neglect of the means of their perseverance or preservation, fall into grievous sins, and for a time continue therein, whereby they incur God's displeasure and grieve his Holy Spirit, come to be deprived of some measure of their graces and comforts, have their hearts hardened and their consciences wounded, hurt and scandalize others, and bring temporal judgments upon themselves. So even the Westminster Confession of Faith admits that people are going to sin, but they limit that to being just sort of, you you get sort of, you, you have trouble sleeping at night. But yeah. you won't, uh, you won't, won't lose, lose your, your salvation. Soul, salvation, yeah. All right. So that's what we're talking about tonight. I think we've got it well defined. I believe we understand what they mean by that. Now we want to talk about some of the proof texts that are that people will try to use to prove that, and then we want to talk about what I think are sound biblical arguments that prove it can't be so. All right. The number to call: eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. 
877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. And Patrick in the chat room is complaining. It's pretty quiet in here tonight, he says. And so he wants some help. Join in with Patrick in the chat room tonight. We're going to take a break, and we'll continue with the discussion on the other side. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Are you listening? There's going to be a test on this stuff. Stay tuned. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. This is Stephen Nicholson, a member of the College View Church of Christ, and I want to invite you to be a regular participant on the virtual Bible study. Your input by way of emails and phone calls are always welcome during the live program. We're also open to your suggestions about possible topics for discussion on upcoming editions of the program. We'd love to hear from you anytime. Here are some quotes worth pondering. A selfish Christian has no true love for others nor God. When there is no thirst for righteousness, the sermon is dry. Lying covers a multitude of sins temporarily. The world is too small a place to afford safety to the man who disobeys God. Conviction, not convenience, determines human destiny. He who remembers only himself will soon be forgotten. Man, I wish I'd said that broadcasting around the world with truths that are out of this world. The Virtual Bible Study. Take it away, guys. And we're back with dead air. Oh, there we go. We're back, and uh, we welcome you back on the program tonight. As we talk about once saved, always saved on the Virtual Bible Study tonight, perseverance of the saints. Can you sin or live in such a way that you could lose your soul in eternity? Over and over again, we see the quotes from those who believe it that... Uh, they don't believe it's possible. But the reason why we're talking about this tonight is because well-known denominational pastor John Hagee has has come out. I, I don't think it's a new coming out, but he has come out and said that he doesn't believe it's right. He doesn't believe in eternal security. Let me, If you're joining us late, let me read you this quote from John Hagee. But this is not a new quote. This is a, a four-year-old quote. He says, I believe that if you turn your back on God for an extended period of time, the book of Revelation says your name will be smitten from the book of life. Now, if your name is stricken from the book of life, that means you're not going to be in heaven. Your name wouldn't be in the book of life if you were not at one time saved. So there's a very clear scriptural Bible reason that says that if you were at one time saved, according to the book of Revelation, with continued wicked living, you can lose that salvation. We're saying we agree with John Hagee on that subject. Now, uh, there are plenty of people who disagree with him, and I've, I understand that he's got some people quite upset uh, because of the position that he's taken, and that's why we're studying this tonight. All right. We asked the question, the second question was, if you believe in eternal security, what verses do you use? What arguments do you make? And again, I'm, I'm doubtful that we're going to get any takers on that, uh, those who believe in it. But for all those of us who don't believe in it, it's good for us to be somewhat informed of what their attempted proof texts are. And so we might look at some of those, Jacob. Yes, and Chris from Georgia sends in um, uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, 4, verse 30, 2 Corinthians 1, 22, and 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5. Uh, he says, the once saved, always saved doctrine is a comfortable sounding doctrine, but I believe Scripture teaches differently. When I was... In the Baptist world, they taught that since we were sealed with the Holy Spirit, it was a seal that was impossible to break. Again, Ephesians 1.13, Ephesians 4.20, 2 Corinthians 1.22, and 5, verse 5. Uh, and then Patrick in Birmingham has sent in, he's, he's done a lot of work here for us, Jacob. He's sent in a long email. We may not be able to read it all. He, he mentioned some verses that are often used to teach salvation by faith alone. Uh, and he, he, he sees these as very closely interwoven. Of course, uh, uh, I believe Calvinists do try to tie this all together, Jacob. Mm -hmm. But he says concerning eternal security, uh, he mentions Romans 5, 12 through 21. Um, uh, let's see. Therefore, just as the one man sin, through one man's sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin... For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the transgression, for if the transgression of the one, for if by the transgression of the one many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to many. Uh, and it goes on. He gives he gives that whole text there. In fact, that's, that's what he's referenced here. He's given... I've not seen that used 
I don't think I've seen Romans 5 used. He mentions Hebrews 9, 11 through 12, Colossians 3, 3, 3, Colossians 3, 3, and 4. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. The idea of being hidden with him is one I think that they would use as well. Uh, one passage that uh, that I hear have heard repeatedly is uh, John chapter 10. Uh, Wait a minute. Before you go to that, I got that up. I got a slide on that. You got John chapter 12. No, I don't have the slide, but what I have is Billy Graham referencing that text. Okay. If you you go to that, uh, Dan. You got the slide. uh, uh, Billy Graham for a long time had a daily question and answer column that was in lots of newspapers across the United States. Billy Graham is old. In fact, I heard just this week he's really seriously ill, been in the hospital. He's not dead yet, but he's very old and ill. but he, he's, uh, he's been teaching error. Teacher. He's been teaching error on this for a long time. Here was the question. Dr. Graham, I am a Christian, but when I commit a sin, do I lose my salvation and cease to be a child of God? I have a friend who says this, but I need to know what the Bible says. He responds, the Bible makes it clear that when we truly give our lives to Jesus Christ, our salvation is secure forever, even when we commit sin, as we will do as long as we are on this earth. Jesus declared, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. John 10, 27, 28. That's the passage you were going to reference, Jacob. Yes. He says, God's word also promises that nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 8, verse 39. It's important for you to understand the reason for this. If your salvation depended on your good works, then you would have have reason to be uncertain and to think that your salvation would be taken from you every time you committed a sin. But that's not the case. Your salvation depends on only one thing Jesus Christ has already done for you through his sacrifice on the cross. And he references Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace ye have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, lest any man should boast. It isn't your hold on Christ that saves you, but his hold on you. I don't want to be misunderstood, however. The Bible teaches that if we repeatedly sin and have no concern for our sins, then we need to examine our hearts, for we have not truly come to Christ. Okay. Right, so he, go ahead now. You, uh, the reason you, you started bringing up John 10 uh, as, as a proof text, I, want to, I just want to show you, they do use that. Here's Billy Graham using that. And that passage says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave me, them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. So they would say, you know, once you're in the hand, you can't get out of the hand. Well, I think the text actually explains itself, Jacob. Okay. Notice he says, my sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. I want to tell you something. As long as you keep hearing the, the Master's voice, and as long as you keep following him, your salvation is secure. You can never be lost. Nobody can take you out of the Father's hand as long as you keep listening and following. But those are the conditions. What if I stop listening to the Lord? What if I stop following him? Then this passage doesn't guarantee any promise to me. Right. It, it's, it's speaking on how, a sheep, how sheep would behave. They're going to follow the shepherd. The problem with sheep and, and shepherding is not the sheep leaving you. is someone coming in and taking them out of the, uh, of the fold. And that's what it's, the comment is on, you know, a wolf or someone. You know, Jesus is saying, nobody can take you out of my father's hand. But that's not to say that the sheep can't stray away on right. their own. Right. Uh, and, again, if you stop listening to the master and following him, Rome, uh, John 10, uh, verses 27, 28, 29, there's no promise there. The, the Calvinists like to use that to teach eternal security, but it's not in there. All right. Let us know your uh, thoughts, if you have any in the chat room tonight as well. Uh, let's see. Um, Yes, 826 says, I'm so amazed as to what people will believe. Truth is objective, never subjective. However, oh, I just lost it. Go ahead. Uh, however, if we rely on man's wisdom, then truth becomes subjective. There is no standard. Romans 3, verses 3 and 4 sort of makes this principle. God is always truth and will always remain faithful. So I'm not sure exactly uh, maybe where we're headed with that, that comment. All right. Um, I got a couple other verses noted that are used as proof to, text. Yeah, I guess 826, maybe you could give us a little bit more information there uh, to your comments so we can understand where you're going there. All right. Uh, John 6, verse 47. Ver- Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. Now, the, oh. the, the Calvinists would use this to teach yes. that you're saved and you can't ever be lost. Mm-hmm. That verse doesn't say that. 
No, no, no it, it says you have everlasting life. Come on, that doesn't ever end, does it? Well, but it doesn't say that you can't lose that everlasting life that oh. you have. In other words, I got $10 in my pocket. That'll mean I'll keep it. You know, I, I could do something to lose that $10. Right now, I possess it. And so if, if I have an obedient faith in the Lord Jesus, then I have something as a result of that. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't say that I'll always have it no matter what I do. This verse doesn't teach unconditional salvation. It teaches that as long as I have saving faith in Jesus Christ, then I have everlasting life. But if I stop believing, if I stop obeying, again, that verse doesn't teach an unconditional uh, once saved, always saved proposition. All right. We're looking forward to your comments tonight. If you have any, give us a call, send us an email, join in the chat room. In the chat room is is amazingly quiet. Yeah, and I've reread a guest 826's uh, comments. I believe I understand what 826 is going for here. Uh, if we rely on man's wisdom, then truth does become subjective because there is no standard. And Romans chapter 3, as I look at it, verses 3 and 4 do make that, that principle. What, what uh, the comment there is telling us is we've got to go back to God's word and, and stand solely on it rather than on some of these other doctrines, which are based in great part on man's wisdom. Uh, studying with someone one time about the doctrine of Calvinism, they embraced certain aspects of it, but not all of it. They referred to Calvinism as being a lot of brains and not a lot of Bible. And it is. I mean, it, it, it makes a lot of sense rationally. If you start going down that road, well, it all it, follows. It, it, all it, fo it, it flows. It doesn't, it doesn't harmonize with the Bible, but it, it's logical. Yeah. It, and it's well thought out. Yeah. Uh, so. Calvin was nobody's dummy. I mean, he, no, he, no. he spent a lot of time dreaming that up. And like you say, from. A human wisdom standpoint, you can see how it fits all together. It's like a big puzzle, and it fits together, but it's not a true That's right. uh, conclusion. Okay. Um, let's see. I, before we get to the break, Jacob, let me give you one more passage that's used frequently used by those who want to teach once saved, always saved. And Billy Graham's uh, newspaper article that we referenced a minute ago does mention this text, Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8, verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Skip down to verse 37. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Well, those, that, that's a beautiful text, by the way, a very comforting text right. that no external thing can take me away from the Lord. Mm -hmm. No external thing can cause me to be lost. But that passage doesn't mention at all what I might choose to do. Right. That, there's nothing in that passage that doesn't say, I could turn my back on the Lord. I could walk away. I could quit serving him. I could stop obeying him. That's not in that text. That's just That text is just saying no external forces can cause me to be lost if I'm committed to the Lord. Yeah. And that's a great promise. But it's not saying that I could never myself choose to go a different route. All right, let's take a break and get this week's bullet point. And we've got a guest supplied bullet point tonight. And we also have a guest supplied uh, quote that we should have played in the other segment. Patrick has supplies one of his favorite quotes. I was born with nothing. I still have most of it. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> yeah, we're in that same boat, Patrick. And uh, here's his bullet point uh, that submitted. Uh, the next time someone accuses you of being narrow-minded because you believe Jesus is the only way of life and you believe in all his teachings, take it as a compliment and remember Matthew 7, verses 13 through 14. Enter through this narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter it through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and few uh, there are who find it. That's a good one. That's, a, that's a, And again, an important principle, to be sure. Thank We're going to go to our that. bullet point. Our bullet point tonight has to do, Jacob, with visual aids. Uh, visual aids. Can, is, it, is it right for us to use visual aids in the teaching of the gospel? You know, we do that in our local assemblies with uh, computer projections and so on. We're doing it on the Internet with the virtual Bible study. Can we use such things to spread the gospel? Is it authorized? Right. That's what we're going to talk about. I look forward to hearing that uh, discussion of visual aids. We'll take a break, and we'll be back right after don't touch that mouse. The virtual Bible study will be back right after this. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. We've been asked about our practice of using visual aids during the preaching of sermons. 
Specifically, we've been asked why we oppose the use of instrumental music, but we allow the use of a projector to display charts and graphics during a lesson. The basic answer to this question involves distinguishing the difference between something which aids versus something that adds. For example, in baking cookies, the process is aided by using a baking pan, a spatula, and a hot pad. In fact, it will be hard to bake cookies without these aids. But we will ruin the product if we add something to the list of ingredients. For example, chocolate chip cookies don't taste right when you put pickles in the mix. In the same way, we can properly use things which aid our worship so long as we do not change the end result. For instance, the Lord's Supper is aided by the use of a plate or a tray on which the elements of the supper, the bread and the fruit of the vine, are distributed to each worshiper. This does not change the act of worship. It would be wrong, however, to add jelly to the bread or to substitute a different drink instead of grape juice. In the same way, we can use a visual aid during the preaching of a sermon. It has been repeatedly proven that people retain more of what they are taught when they both hear and see the main points of emphasis. Therefore, a printed outline or words written on a blackboard are helpful to the learning process. Similarly, an overhead projector or one of the new computer-driven video projectors is a significant aid in teaching God's Word. As long as the end result, that being the teaching of biblical truth, is not changed, the use of appropriate aids is not wrong. Now, what about music in worship? Some things will serve as a valuable aid. A pitch pipe or tuning fork can help the leader start the song correctly. Songbooks definitely improve our worship by keeping us all on the same verse, singing the same words. These are simply aids, and the end result is not altered. We sing, like we're commanded to do in Ephesians 5.19 and Colossians 3.16. However, if we add an instrument to the mix, we're doing something different. Now we're singing and playing. And the latter is not authorized in New Testament worship. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. Hello, I'm Nick Law from Jennings, Florida. I love to listen to the virtual Bible study and hear God's Word talk every Thursday night. Missed a recent virtual Bible study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the virtual Bible study. And as a coincidence would have it, I was listening to you in Jennings, Florida last week, and you sounded good. Yeah, we're getting out all over the world, so anywhere you are, you can listen. There was no static in the connection either. It was a great signal we were picking up. It was good, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it's not like a radio reset. Oh, that's what it is. Okay. Well, we want to hear from you tonight at 877-381-4567. You'll come in static-free as well. Questions at collegeu.com or send your email or your comments in through the chat room uh, tonight. As we talk about once saved, always saved, eternal security, perseverance of the saints, and possibility of apostasy, however you want to. Uh, slice or dice it there. We're talking about one of John Calvin's tenets and his five tenets of the doctrines of Calvin. All right, I was just I was just giving us a Twitter update. Well, you were tweeting while, you, I, while I was talking. It. Yeah, yeah. And notice that Jack Coleman is in the chat room, and Jack Coleman is right here in the room with us. He's just shown up tonight, so glad to have you with us, Jack, and joining. There's a microphone over there too, if you get ready to make a comment, so do that. Yeah. Um, so we've sort of dealt with the first couple of parts of our study. Define what they mean when they say once saved, always saved, perseverance. You know, it's not a difficult thing to understand. I mean, once saved, always saved is just about as plain as you can make it. Yeah. Uh, but we've seen, by some of the definitions we read, Jacob, we've seen how those who are honest are willing to take that to its furthest application. They're not backing away from the fact you can commit any sin in the book. Uh, you, you could uh, commit murder, and it wouldn't matter. You're going to be safe. I don't know. Would all of them take that? that I don't know that all first. of them do. The logical ones do. If you're logical and honest, you've got to be willing to say. It's not just telling the little white lie that's okay, and you can't be lost if you tell what. It means if you commit adultery, you commit murder, if you rob banks, you've got to, you've got to be willing to take that. And, and those who are honest will take it all the way through. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, again, we, we've defined it. We've talked about some of the proof texts that are very commonly used by them. But let's spend the rest of our time, Jacob, talking about why it can't be so. Um, from, the, from the Bible, what, what are the reasons why that it, it can't be so? All right. Uh, those uh, arguments are plenteous in the uh, Scriptures. Uh, scriptures and passages that teach us that it cannot be so. Patrick in Birmingham, Alabama tonight is also in the chat room, and he sends in Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 21 through 24, 
But if the wicked man turns from all his sins which he has committed and observes all my statutes and practices, justice and righteousness, he shall surely live, he shall not die. All his transgressions which he has committed will not be remembered against him because of the righteousness which he has practiced, he will live. Do I have any pleasure in the death of the wicked, uh, declares the Lord God, rather than, than that he should turn from his ways and live. But when a righteous man turns away from his righteousness, commits iniquity, and does according to all the abominations that a wicked man does, will he live? All his righteous deeds which he has done, which he has done will not be remembered for his treachery which he has committed and the sin which he has committed, for then he will die. Ezekiel 18, verses 21 through 24, very explicitly state God's view of it in the Old Testament under the law of Moses. Exactly right. And then, Patrick, also, we may get time to come back to some of these, but he mentions Romans 7, 17 through 24, Hebrews 10, 26 through 31, Second Peter 2, 20 through 22. That one we got to go to. Uh, again, I think maybe if I had just one passage, in other words, someone said, I'm only going to give you one passage to use. you got to prove your point, and I'm only going to let you use one Bible text to do it. I might very likely choose Second Peter chapter 2, verses 20 through 22. That's a pretty powerful passage. Yeah, let's read it. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Stop there a minute. Mm-hmm. Who's this talking about? Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about, it's got to be talking about saved people, right? Because they have escaped, past tense. They have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So they're saved people. What happens? They are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened to them according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. I mean, that's just so plain. It's clearly talking about saved people who go back into sin, uh, who forsake the Lord and, and make no effort to be obedient to him. They turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. And he says it's like a sow that was washed. It's like a dog returning to its own vomit. question might be asked from that text, why is it worse with them than than when they were, in other words, if they were lost before, and we're saying they're lost now, how is that so? Well, I think the reason why it's worse is because when they were first lost, they hadn't heard the gospel. They hadn't been invited to participate in salvation through Jesus Christ. Now, after they have had that invitation and acted upon it, they choose to return to that former way of life. The drawing power of the gospel is severely diminished to them. And so they're in a worse shape now because they've gone back into sin, and now there's nothing that's going to really appeal to them to come out of that sin. That's right. So Second Peter chapter 2, verses 20 through 22 is, is very powerful. Very powerful passage. What are some passages you know? Send them in the chat room tonight. We'd like to hear from you. Chris in uh, Georgia says the Bible's full of verses that we can that says... We can fall away and lose our salvation. Second Peter chapter three, verse seventeen. Hebrews chapter three, verses twelve through fourteen. Uh, verse fourteen of Hebrews chapter three, uh, he says, states that, uh, we can share in Christ if we hold our original our original confidence firm to the end. First Corinthians chapter ten, verse twelve states you can fall. Fall from what? If you believe uh, from I believe from your saved state. Yeah, look at that real quick from that one. First Corinthians. 10, really the whole first 10 verses talks about what happened to Israel. Uh, verse, uh, verse 11 says, These things happen to them for examples. They're written for our admonition, for whom the ends of the world will come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Yeah. So that's a good one. You can fall. You, you, it, it's written to Christians. This was written to Christians. And you, it says, don't believe, don't believe for a minute that you can't fall. All right. Um, here's one. I've been looking for this this quote from Bill Foster. You know this one from the Baptist preacher in Louisville, Kentucky, uh, from uh, around 1959. He said, "If I killed my wife and mother and debauched a thousand women, I could not go to hell. In fact, I couldn't go to hell if I wanted to. If on the day of on the judgment day I should find that my loved ones are lost." and should lose all desire to be saved, and should beg God to send me to hell with them, he couldn't do it. Can you imagine that? Yeah. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. But that's, again, you've got to take that view if you're going to be... Beg God, beg God to send me to hell. He couldn't do it. Yeah. But if you're going to be consistent in believing that doctrine, you've got to take that view. Um, what we're seeing here is that there's just absolutely a whole host 
of passages that teach can be. I got an email, Jacob, from Justin in Exeter, California, who said, sorry, I don't have much time to answer all the questions, but it seems that Paul says that you can fall from grace. And he references Galatians 5, 4. Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever you are justified by the law, you're fallen from grace. For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. That that one's got to be on your on your um, main page of your playbook when you're dealing with this false doctrine of once saved, always saved, Jacob. Galatians 5, 4, you're fallen from grace. Now, in Galatians 5, the problem that Paul was addressing there was the was the problem of Jewish Christians trying to demand that Gentile converts be circumcised. That was a huge issue in the first century church between Jewish and Gentile converts. It's right. not It's not an issue in the church today. No. I've never heard anybody even argue about it. But uh, So not, not necessarily talking about the topic which was at hand, but in discussing that topic at hand, Paul said, if you try to go back and be justified by the Old Testament law, including things like circumcision, he says, you are fallen from grace. Fallen from grace. Think about that. You can't fall from something that you're not in. Mm-hmm. I've often used the analogy, you can't fall out of a boat if you're not first in the boat. Mm-hmm. And you can't fall out of grace if you're not first in grace. Mm-hmm. And so Galatians 5 verse 4 is just overwhelmingly powerful to say that you can be lost even after you've once been saved. That's right. That's right. Um, we have... Uh Comments in uh, the chat room, guest 826. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6 uh, commands us to withdraw from wayward members of the church. And I guess the, the, the obvious question that have to be asked is why do that? Why withdraw from wayward members? That, that seems to be, I mean, you're going to spend eternity in heaven with them. Why withdraw from them here on earth? That's a good point. I never <laughs> even thought about it that way. It doesn't even make any sense. Why would if they fell away, they're not going to be lost anyway. So just let them do that. And there's no danger to me. And there's no danger to them. And therefore, we'd just be wasting our time to go through this business of exercising church discipline. Mm, good point. Uh, Patrick in Birmingham uh, gives another note about we were mentioning there in Second Peter chapter two, beginning verse twenty, where it talks about the. If someone falls away, the latter end is worse. Mm-hmm. He says, why will someone who is saved and goes into sin be worse off? And he references Luke 12, beginning verse 47. That slave who knew his master's will and did not get ready or act in accordance with his will be will receive many lashes. But the one who did not know and committed deeds worthy of flogging will receive but few. From everyone who has been given, much will be required. But to whom they entrusted much, of him they will ask the more. Um that's an interesting point. I'm, have, Jay, have we ever talked about degrees of punishment and reward on the verse of Bible? I don't I think, think we, we may have been passing. Just in passing. That passage is used sometimes to teach degrees of punishment and reward. Uh, I'm not sure that it does. I, I can see certainly why somebody might interpret it that way. But I, I would use it like Patrick's using it here. What it's saying is that there's going to be stricter judgment on those who've been in privileged positions. In other words, think of us. Think, think of all who live in America. We have free and open access to the Bible. Mm-hmm. We can practice religion without fear of government intervention. Mm-hmm. Nobody is trying to persecute us at the point of a sword or a gun to keep us from doing the will of God. Therefore, since we've got such privileges and such great opportunities, the Lord's going to hold us more accountable than, say, somebody who's in a, in a place where they're killing Christians every time they can find them, and you're under extreme persecution. That's not to say you wouldn't still have to be faithful to the Lord, but but I believe that that passage in Luke 12, beginning verse 47, said we are going to be held to a high standard. Much is going to be required of us because of the opportunities that have been provided to us. All right, and uh, appreciate those comments. Thanks, Patrick. Patrick and guest 826 tonight, the, the, only, the, the sole commenters. I guess Jack has commented a few times. Uh, we want to hear from you. We'll take a break, go to the top of the hour. After this, we uh, we still have more passages to look at. Lots, yeah. I mean, that's well, you could talk all night about just the passages. I just think the number of passages is just absolutely overwhelming that teach that you can be lost after being saved. All right. We'll, we'll talk, talk some more about that when we get back. All right. Don't go anywhere. We continue right after this. Enjoying the virtual Bible study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial. Hello, everyone. I'm Monty, a member of the College View Church of Christ.
So if you've been hearing all about the College View Church of Christ on the virtual Bible study and are interested in finding out more about the church, but you live hundreds of miles away from Columbia, Tennessee, and can't come and visit with the congregation to find out more, there's no reason to fear. After all, we live in the 21st century. Here's what you can do to find out more about the College View Church of Christ. First, why don't you check out our website while you're listening to the virtual Bible study? You'll find important information about the church there, including bulletin articles there on various subjects and can even listen to sermons that have been presented at the College View Church in the past. Secondly, if you have questions about the church or about any Bible teaching, why don't you send an email to us and let us know how we can help. Send your questions to questions at collegeview.com. That address, once again, is questions at collegeview.com. We can even have a personal Bible study with you over email if you desire. And finally, if you would rather talk with someone in person, give us a call at 931-381-4567. That's 931-381-4567. You can call this number anytime. If you don't get an answer, leave a message and we'll call you back as soon as we can. We're glad you're listening to the virtual Bible study and hope to hear from you soon. My name is Steve Novorak, reminding you to listen to the virtual Bible study every Thursday night at 8 o'clock Central Time. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. The virtual Bible study continues. And we're back on the program tonight as we talk about passages. That, we're talking about the once saved, always saved doctrine. We're looking at passages that uh, refute that doctrine and teach, it, that teach us that it is false. We've got a comment from the uh, in the chat room from someone who's in the room tonight, and so, uh, Jack, we'll let you get the microphone and, and make it yourself uh, if you don't mind there, there Jack. Yeah. I had that uh, verse. Yeah. He was mentioned in James 5. I had that on my list, too. I think it's a good one, what's Jack. Your, what's your argumentation there, Jack? Well, like you, you all said, there's a sufficient amount of passages, but there, note, it's written to the brethren uh-huh. uh, who have erred from the truth. And how can you err from the truth if you're not previously established in the truth? And such a person is in danger of having his soul die. So that's pretty scary. Yeah, it's, it's, it's written to brethren. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth, so here's a brother. He errs from the truth, and one convert him. So in other words, let's say it's me, Jack, and I've, and I've done something that's clearly sinful. And you come to me and point it out in an effort to get me to make it right. What's going to happen? Let him know that he which converteth, that's you, you converted me from the error of my way, what are you going to do? You're going to save a soul from death. You're going to save exactly. me from being lost. In other words, I'm a brother. But if you hadn't come and helped me in this matter, and if I hadn't repented, I was going to die spiritually. Exactly. So, I mean, that, uh, straight up, it, I mean, that's just as plain as the nose on your face, I think. Yeah, good comment. All right. Uh, you got any others, Jacob, you're thinking of? Uh, Jack might have some others as well. Um well, you've, we've, uh, you've talked about Galatians 5.4, James 5.19-20, Second Peter chapter 2, verses 20 and 21. What about First Peter chapter 1, verse 5? That's on the list as well that needs to be discussed. Go ahead. First Peter chapter 1, uh, verse 5, beginning, uh, says that uh, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed to the last time, wherein you greatly rejoice, so now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith be much more precious than of gold that perisheth, will be tried with fire, might be found into praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, and whom though now you see him not, yet believing you rejoice with unspeakable and uh, with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify, who testified beforehand the, the, the sufferings of Christ that the glory should follow. Now you've got uh, you've got that list on uh, on the list there because it shows us that we've got to go through some trying times to get our faith in such that it will endure and be what God would have. It's got to be. be like gold tried in the fire. It's got to persevere. And if it doesn't, then the the, uh, the obvious uh, conclusion would be that we would not be pleasing to God. Okay, I think that's right. What do you, what are the verses you got to add? I think you got to have. Uh, the way I view this, I sort of view this as having uh, just backup ammunition to support your positions. And in your arsenal, in your backup ammo that you're going to use to defeat false doctrine, you got to have Acts 8, don't you, about Simon the Sorcerer? Simon the Sorcerer in Acts chapter 8. Now, I want to ask you, was this guy a saved man or not? Remember... Philip went to the city of Samaria and preached Jesus to them. 
Uh, it says in verse 12, Acts 8, verse 12, but when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Then Simon, this is talking about Simon, the man who had formerly used sorcery to bewitch the people. Then Simon himself believed also, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which he did. So what's your position on what it takes to be saved? Some people say faith only. We think they're wrong. We think you have to couple faith with obedience. We think you have to be baptized to be saved. So, But it doesn't really matter. Whatever view you take on that, he believed. If belief is all you have to do, then he was saved. But he was also baptized. So if you have to be baptized, he was saved. This guy was a saved man. There's just no doubt about it. Well, notice it says, it goes on and says, Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who when they were come... Uh, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost, for as yet he was fallen on none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. And when Simon saw that the, through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay hands he may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said to him, Thy money perish with thee. Notice he was in danger of perishing. Mm-hmm. Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right inside of God. His heart wasn't right with mm-hmm. God. Repent, therefore, of this thy weakness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness, in the bond of iniquity. Then answered Simon and said, Pray ye to the Lord for me, that none of those things which he has spoken come upon me. So here's a guy that, by any estimation... And by the Holy Spirit's estimation, was a saved man. And yet he sinned, and he was in danger of perishing. His heart wasn't right with God. He was in the gall of bitterness, in the bond of iniquity. Here's a guy that lost. He was lost. He had to repent and pray for forgiveness in order to get right with God again. Acts 8 has got to be a powerful. How could you be in that position and still uh, hope to be saved? Another passage that we should mention is... um, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, because if John Calvin was right and the doctrine of once saved, always saved is true, Paul was a paranoid person, and Paul was worried really about nothing. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, he says, But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Why would Paul be worried about being a castaway? If he could live any way that he wanted, if he could be like Bill Foster said and beg God to send him to hell and he couldn't, uh, that he couldn't go to hell if he wanted to, why would Paul have to worry about keeping his body under subjection uh, if he couldn't be a castaway to begin with? All right. I think it's, I think exactly right. Uh, Pat in Harvest, Alabama, has written in and says Hebrews 3, verse 1, and then verse 12 makes a good passage against the perseverance of the saints uh, it shows, notice verse 1, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle high priest of your profession, Jesus Christ. But no, in other words, who's, who's he talking to? He's talking to holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. Now, when you get down to verse 10, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Mm. These These brethren who were saved, could become unbelievers. They could have an evil heart of unbelief and depart from the living God. I think you're right, Pat. All right. Uh, Patrick, who's also in Alabama, but a little bit farther south tonight, he, uh, I didn't see this, he had commented uh, from 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He backs up to verse 24. Uh, Do you not know that those who run, in a ra- uh, who run in a race all run, but only one receives a prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself may not be uh, disqualified. Uh, Patrick says if eternal assurance is true, then how did Paul admit to the possibility of being disqualified? It's impossible. Exactly right. Uh, and a couple more verses from Pat in Harvest, Alabama. He says Romans 14, 15, and 23. No, it's Romans 14, 15. If thy brother be grieved with thy meat, he goes on. So this is talking about a brother. And he says, he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. And this, uh, so a brother could be damned. And then 1 Corinthians 8, 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 11. If I get my pages to turn over there. Um, 
says, uh, through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died? A brother could perish? Could perish. So Pat says uh, uh, this, these verses work well against a Calvinist who believes in limited atonement and once saved, always saved, since they can't argue these passages are talking about non-Christians, since both mention that Christ had died for the people who are now condemned. Oh. I think he's exactly right. Yeah, that's right. Uh, before we uh, conclude tonight, um, you've got a list of some things that can happen to our faith uh, that very uh, very powerful in showing us that we can uh, live in such a way so as to be lost. Yeah, did you know, in, in other words, <clears throat> if it's impossible for a person who believes to be lost, think about what the New Testament says can happen to your faith. It's possible for a person's faith to be overthrown. 2 Timothy 2.18, <clears throat> who concerning the truth have erred, and overthrow the faith of some. Mm -hmm. So your faith can be overthrown. Your faith can be cast off, 1 Timothy 5.12, having damnation because they have cast off their first faith. So your faith can be cast off. Your faith can be departed from, 1 Timothy 4, verse 1. The Spirit speaketh expressly that in latter times some shall depart from the faith. Your ship can be made, your, your faith can be made shipwreck. 1 Timothy 1.19, holding faith and a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. Now, think about this. You've got a faith that has been overthrown, a faith that has been cast off, a faith that has been departed from, a faith that has been made shipwreck of, and yet you're still saved. If once saved, always saved is true. It doesn't make sense at all. It doesn't make sense. That's It's an incredible. And there are other warnings as well that we have... Uh, not commented on uh, verse Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the de devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Well, if uh, if the doctrine of once saved, always saved is true, this lion that's walking around, this roaring, has got a muzzle on because he couldn't hurt yeah. anybody. You know, the, the idea of why are there so many warnings in the Scripture to Christians if there's no danger that you could fall away? Yeah. You don't give warnings when there is no danger. You give warnings when danger exists. And passages like 1 Peter 5, verse 8, uh, clearly suggest there's danger. Paul, uh, when he was speaking to the elders at Ephesus in Acts 20, verse 31, Watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. He warned Christians. Time. Why is he warning them? What's the purpose of that? Like you said, it's just a waste of time. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12, Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Why? That's that you can't fall if you want to. You couldn't go to hell if you want to, according to this doctrine. Why would you have to be careful uh, to not fall if you can't fall to begin with? Exactly right. I think we. I think that that one, Jacob. I mean, to me, it's open shut case. The the passages that that those who believe in once saved always saved. The passages that they try to use simply don't get the job done. And there's just an array of verses and passages that teach that. You can lose your salvation, though, once saved. Uh, Patrick has a good passage for us to conclude with in uh, the chat room. Revelation 20, verses 12 and 13. And I saw the dead, the great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which are written in the books, according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and the death and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Uh, he says, while, of course, not denying the need for faith, there's no mention of faith here. We are judged by our works, he says. And so uh, Patrick would say, and uh, we would say as well, if we stand before uh, the Lord and we have denied him, we've not lived as he should, uh, then we're going to be judged based upon that life. The doctrine of once saved, always saved says you're not going to be judged by the way you live. It and doesn't that sort matter. Of, that sort of ties it in with what got our discussion started tonight. John Hagee is using Revelation to say, if you were once in the book of life, but now you're not, your name's been blotted out of the book of life, obviously that's a person who was saved that's now not saved anymore. John Hagee, though wrong on most things, is right about that. And so that, that last passage sort of ties it all together. All right. And again, we're with Patrick on that. We're not denying our need for faith, and we're not saying that we're going to be saved by works, but we're going to be judged based upon the way that we've lived. All right. Good discussion. Though. Appreciate the study. I think it's an important one. There's a lot of people in the religious world who do not know the truth on that subject. All right. If you're listening to us in the recorded version, we welcome your comments at any time, questions at collegeu.com, or call us toll-free. And uh, if you have a suggestion for a topic for a future edition of the Virtual Bible Study, we would encourage and welcome uh, that suggestion as well. Dad, thank you for your time tonight. Thank you, Jacob. And Dan has been behind the controls tonight. I mean, been quiet, but done a great job. Thank you, Dan. 
for joining us on the program tonight. Uh, we hope you'll make plans to be back here next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.